0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and Mexican geckos everywhere saying, Ha! I can climb any wall. (laughs) It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means? It's Tea with BBP. Live from the Michigan State University campus, it's your host, Bill Van Patten, a.k.a. BBP. Rhymes with me, BBP. International (gasps) superstar and diva of SLA. And speaking of walls, with me are my cohorts... Who protect me from the outside world with great rigor? Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Say hello, kids. Hello, hello kids.
1: Oh, seriously, that gets old.
2: Really? I've never said that before. What do you mean it gets old? No, because old? you
1: always repeat you, what we're yeah, supposed to say. Exactly. Aww. You always, yeah, now he's pouting. Now he's pouting.
0: <laughs> You know his potting looks funny with that beard. Yeah. yeah. Look, you've got to get a picture of Walt with his beard and tweet it out because I don't think our, our our listening people out there have seen. He Walt says he with wants to wait
2: till it gets longer, but I'm not sure it's going to get any longer.
1: <laughs> I don't think I like being a wall. No, I'd well, rather be a gecko. Well, yeah, <laughs> climbing the wall.
2: You can climb the wall. See any wall? You want to be a Mexican gecko?
1: Sorry. Yes, I a Mexican do
2: Mexican gecko. I'm
1: not sure why, but of course I do. Yeah.
2: Okay. Is there some difference between Mexican geckos and non-Mexican geckos? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They're Mexican. Yeah, they eat tortillas. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Mexican gecko. I climb on walls. I'm Mexican. All right. Well, guess what? Where am I off to today after the show? Anybody remember?
2: Um, Alabama. No, that was, no, that was just there. Uh, Southwest Colt. Yes. Southwest
0: Colt. In Oklahoma, where the wind we comes whipping down, down the plains. plains. Yep. And
2: the wave we- Da, 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 da,
0: da, da. <laughs> Yep, that's this Speechless. weekend. I am leaving after the show. I'm going to the airport, and I will be there late tonight. I'm really excited to get to see a former student of mine. We're going to have lunch tomorrow and giving a keynote tomorrow afternoon. So it'll be great. So I'm looking forward to seeing everybody in Oklahoma City at Southwest Colt. So big shout-out to those people organizing that conference. And, by the way, speaking of which, our diva question today is related to Oklahoma.
2: Hmm.
0: Ain't the that The musical something? or the state? The state of Oklahoma, not the musical. Oh. Not the musical. Hmm. Well, um, let's see. We got announcements. Um, our birthday card contest is over. Fini. It's over. It, it, it ran itself out this week. And so we had a little gander at the birthday card entries. And we are pleased to announce two winners of our birthday card contest. Are you ready for this? Where's our drum roll? Ta-da. I know, we have got to probably. get some sound effects I, I tell I you. I really Okay, anyway So our winners are, ready for this? Cristina Rodriguez-Villa And Dory Perugina
1: Woohoo Yay, oh. we're so
0: excited for them So Christina, Dory, if you're listening um, We do not have your address to send you copies of my collection of short stories, Death Storm Which is going to go out to you with a little, a little dedication for me on the inside um, so if you're listening, send us an email with your address so those can go out to you. If, if you're not listening, um, we don't have anything from you by the end of the show. We will just shoot you an email to remind you to send us those. So thank you for that. It was fun reading those. The, they were really kind of cute. I thought, yeah, I thought that was, there was one that was really sort of uplifting. That was really, mm-hmm. It was really, it was kind of, you know, yep. sunshiny uplifting. I yep. like that. So we will post those. Luca will post those on our website at some point um, so you can see what they were. And then you can feel free to use them. Um, as a greeting card with anybody that you like if they're having a birthday coming up. All right. uh, Remember during the show, there is the SLA challenge question. I'm going to give you the question in a few minutes, and the first person to make it to the phones uh, and answers correctly wins a prize. And Jen is out today. That girl is knocking off early. She went off the spring break already. (laughs) I tell (laughs) you. So Dustin is back on the phone lines waiting for your call. Hey, Dustin. nice Dustin. Nice to see through the glass again. Uh, same for the Diva Challenge question. I'll read that question at some point, and you'll have time to call in with the right answer and win a prize. And, of course, we have Angelica's quote of the week and Walter's read of the week coming up later. Walter's got some good stuff. Um, the number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. And before I go on, I'm going to say the following. We've got some interesting tweets. And if you are listening and you're one of the tweeters, you need to call in and talk to us. Don't hide behind the tweets. Don't behind. You know, don't be up at two in the morning tweeting. Um, Talk to us because you said some interesting things and some provocative things that need to be addressed. So we'd like to actually address them one on one and have that conversation. So anyway, um, no more tweeting. Again, Dustin is on the phone lines. The number. Walter, what's the number?
2: 517-884-4321. Give oh, us a call. He's so good at that, isn't he,
1: mm, Angelica, mm, I tell you, Amazing.
2: And, of course, Angela will be looking at
0: Mixler, and she will also remind you to call in. I know what these people are. I, you know, they're on Mixler or tweeting. I don't know how. I mean, they got, got a. Box of Pringles or a can of Pringles in one hand, and the phone in the—I don't know what they're doing. So we got. I think
2: g- some of them are hoping their principals don't walk in because they're actually teaching classes and they're on Mixler <laughs> at the same time. <laughs>
0: <you know? laughs> it's true. That could that could be it. I I, I kid our audience. I really do. I, I I know. I know it's hard to call in, but we're nice people. I mean, I know it's people say, "Oh, I don't want to call in Bill It's so embarrassing. Oh, I'm, you know, might say something dumb. No, there's no. They, we're this is why we do this show because we're trying to be supportive.
2: And reach out to people and so on. So please call. Well, maybe in. it would help if you didn't say that all of the questions were easy.
0: Well, I'm not talking about the questions. I'm well, talking know, about just calling in. Period. <laughs> they could call in and say, "Hey, send us a picture of Walter's beard." I mean, I don't care. Call in and say that, you know, or call in and say you want to see a picture of Angelica's beard. Oh, Angelica, you don't have a beard. She shaved it. So, we could draw one on. What? <laughs> Unbelievable. <shaved> <laughs> all right. Remember
1: St. Right. Patrick's Day a couple of years ago? Was it last year where we had the green mustaches? Uh, last year. was the green mustaches last year.
0: Maybe we'll do that again this year. Okay. So uh, this week our topic is individual differences. That's what our focus is. Um, the reason I thought this was a good topic for this week is because it comes on the heels of what we've been talking to the last couple of weeks about universality. In language acquisition. So the issue is basically this, that on the one hand, there are mechanisms and processes responsible for language acquisition that are universal, no matter what there you believe in. If it's universal grammar, there's a set of universal constraints on the nature of language and so on that shape language acquisition. If you're a usage-based person, as um, Steffi reminded us last week, even though you don't believe in universal grammar, you do believe in a set of some kind of innate mechanisms, human cognition that are specific to humans that are responsible for language learning, um, and that these cause people to behave in, in, in universal-like ways and in, in, in many things. So the point is, so no matter what theory you believe in, on that front, um, there are universality, there are universal things going on. So what are individual differences then? And how do they interact with these mechanisms and processes? Or how do they interact with these universal things? So I thought I'd Approach this topic today talking about the three most researched IDs. We call them IDs for short, individual differences. Do either one of you know what the three most researched IDs are? Take a guess. Go ahead. Take a guess now. Don't wait too long. It's, we it's only an hour show. Come on. I'm going to start collecting age? social security. Age. Some people look at age as an individual difference, but that is not one of the most researched ones, no. Motivation. Motivation is one of the most researched ones, yes. What are the other two? Um, Aptitude. Aptitude is another one, yes. And the third one you probably wouldn't guess. It's actually a more recent one, but it's gotten a lot of press over the last decade or so. And that's working memory.
3: Hmm.
0: Hmm. Working memory. So let me just touch on each one of these real quick um, and say a little bit about what they are and, um, and then talk about how they relate to language acquisition from what I can gather from the literature. Motivation, I think everybody knows what motivation is. That's basically someone's desire to get something done or do something right. In this case, it's your desire to uh, reach some kind of goal in language acquisition. So motivation um, has been researched a lot. A lot of the research actually began in Canada with uh, Wallace Lambert, um, who distinguished different kinds of motivation. The work has been carried on. And motivation has morphed over the years in terms of types of motivation involved. It's a very complex thing to be looking at. Um, And I won't say anything more about that because my SLA challenge question, I don't want to give away the answer by bringing anybody's name up or anything like that. Um, Aptitude is another uh, well-researched factor in second language acquisition. That's been around since the 50s. John Carroll And what's his name? What was Sapolin's first name? Anybody remember Sapun's first name? Mm -mm. Um, Since the late 50s, started working on language aptitude. And that also has morphed over the years. And aptitude is basically some kind of talent or ability to learn language. Um, again, unspecified, and the tests that are used for aptitude have different components to them. And so you have to understand what the tests are to actually try to figure out what people mean by aptitude. And there's a variety of tests now. There's, there's still the modern language aptitude test. There is now what's called, the, I think it's called the LAMA, the L-L-A-M-A. Um, and there are some other ones um, out there. And they overlap on some of the things they're looking at, but they all look at like four or five different components that contribute to aptitude. And then there's working memory and working memory is basically the computational space you have in your head in real time. So when you're listening or you're reading, you're processing information in real time and you have to hold stuff in your working memory um, to make it coincide with what came before and to anticipate what's coming next and so on. So you're constantly juggling information, this little workspace that is millisecond by millisecond happening in your head. Um, And so working memory is kind of like a, I guess it's kind of like a buzzsaw table, you know, where you're moving wood along or an assembly line, You know, you're moving that stuff through the assembly line. And uh, sometimes things leave the assembly line. Sometimes things come in. And that's kind of what working memory works like that. So these have been researched. Now, people may be surprised to hear this. Maybe they won't be. I don't know. But none of these three, in fact, none of the individual differences I can think of, affect any of the underlying processes in language acquisition. Uh, or make one language learner actually acquire language differently from another. In other words, so let's say Walter has one aptitude and Angelica has another aptitude. That doesn't mean they acquire language differently. What the research on individual differences is really about is the rate of acquisition. So why is it that Walter is either faster or slower than Angelica learning Japanese? Or why is Angelica faster or slower than Walter in learning I don't know what? Chinese, okay? So why are they different in terms of their rate of acquisition? And these, these individual differences have also been uh, – are implicated in talking about how far learners go. The technical term we're using in language acquisition is ultimate attainment. How far do you go, right? And so Walter goes – I don't know. He becomes the advanced high in Japanese, whereas Angelica becomes superior on yeah. an scale, for example, mm-hmm. right? Or Angelica becomes advanced high in Chinese, but Walter becomes superior in Chinese. We don't, and so why is it that Walter gets further than Japanese than Angelica in one situation? Angelica goes further than him. In a, so th- this is these are what the IDs, the individual differences, are about: rate of acquisition and how far people go. They're really not about people learning differently, because in terms of acquisition, people don't really acquire languages differently. They all kind of go through the same thing. Now that doesn't mean that individual differences don't affect, from an external perspective, how you go about doing something. So, like some people, like, what did you tell me earlier, Angelica, before the um, we started, when it was fast versus quickly? What did you say oh, to me? Yeah, that's you said part you of like. Quote, what do you say yeah. you like? You said you um, like. Uh, you said some children. Learn... No, 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 no. Say that out loud. Just say what did you say that you like, you personally. You said well,
1: extremely quickly. Yeah, you as didn't... opposed to extremely fast. And
0: I said it's perfectly fine. And you said,
1: Yeah, but it's not following proper grammar.
0: She says, Yeah. So Angelica is like a real big. She likes rules. She likes rules. Dude. She likes concrete stuff. She likes it to be black and white.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Because I like black and white.
0: She likes black and white, and so Angelica. So does
2: Bill. He's wearing a black Today, and white so, yeah. shirt.
0: So so. So Angelica, for example, may approach the task, her external control of her environment is to try to make things black and white. And, and that's fine. But in her head, unconsciously, she's, things aren't black and white. Because as her language system grows, it's doing what it needs to do based on the input data she's getting. And so externally, she thinks she's doing one thing, but internally something else is happening to her. And so what we're saying is these individual differences don't affect those deep underlying processes, but they may affect how you approach a task. They may affect um, – and they, and they can affect rate, for example, or ultimate attainment. I mean think about motivation, right? Hmm. People diet all the time. Some people lose weight. Some people don't. Some people lose more weight than others. A lot of that has to do with motivation and mm-hmm. willpower and so on. Motivation is ubiquitous in life, and, and, and it does impact – how far, how we get, and lots of kinds of things, right? Um, Walter wants to be rich, right? So he's motivated. <laughs> nope. He's motivated to, you know, do certain things so he can become rich, whereas Angelica is not motivated to be rich, and so she's not going to do those things. Um, but so, you know, mot- these these things are not willy-nilly silly things. They're important things in our lives. But, again, my point is that they don't affect the processes, the mechanisms of acquisition. What they do is affect how we try to control it and um, how we try to approach some of the tasks we get engaged in. So, um, so they're important for rate of acquisition and possibly how far learners go, but not necessarily for the actual processes themselves. So if you wanna get into that conversation, talk some more about that. Uh, again, our number is 517-884-4321. Again, 517-884-4321. And so related to that topic, I'm gonna to give the SLA challenge question. This is easy because you can Googleize this in a heartbeat. Mm. <laughs> okay. Um, one of the most noted names in individual differences is Zoltan Dornier. What is the name of his 2005 book, revamped and updated in 2015 and published by Routledge? Again, one of the most noted names in individual differences is Zoltan Dornier. Very nice guy, by the way. What is the name of his 2005 book? revamped and updated in 2015, published by Routledge. Okay, first person to answer that um, will win a prize. All right, um, we've got some... Um, Luca, do you want me to take a phone call or do you want me to read Twitter? What do you want me to do? Okay, I'm going to take a phone call first. Okay, we got... Uh, looks like we have an Abraham calling us from somewhere. Abraham, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Is it Abraham or is it Abraham or what is it?
4: It It is it is Abram.
0: Abram, okay, great. Okay, Abram, so you are from California, I think, right? Yes. Well, great. Yeah. You know, I'm from California, too. Yeah. We could be I'm, distant relatives. Uh, you never know. <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's possible.
0: <laughs> so what's up, Abram? What are you calling about?
4: Yeah, so I I was kind. Of, I heard you on the show talking about ID, so I, I didn't know at first because I, I came in a little bit late, and I was looking it up, and... And um, I saw that ID is inter- um, individual difference, but Correct. I also was looking at um, other researchers refer to uh, intellectual disabilities, and that was actually what I was wanting to call about was mm-hmm. learners with dyslexia, because um, I have several students who who have dyslexia, and I was just wondering um, what kind of research that you know about for learners with with dyslexia and and how that might affect um, second language acquisition.
0: Yeah, I could be wrong on this, Abraham, but I think there's like little, 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 little teeny tiny bit of work on that that I I don't even know, honestly. Um, It's not, it's something that I think people are talking about more and more, not just dyslexia, but different kinds of things that impact learning. Um, but the, the thing about those quote-unquote disabilities or, or things that impact learning, again, impact subject matter learning and they impact conscious learning. Um, but from a perspective of language acquisition, they shouldn't impact language acquisition. In fact, I've known – I know a number of dyslexic people who speak really fluent, really good second language Spanish um, in, in, in quote unquote, in spite of the dyslexia, and so something like dyslexia might get in the way of of having to use printed matter, um, or getting in the way of um, possibly even writing, um, but it shouldn't get in the way of your ability to process input data in the oral mode, for example, and and to acquire language, the way most people acquire language. Well, actually, the way all people acquire language is through processing input in some way or another. So, um, so I think that the research. On it, if, if we were to find any, I would on would be more about the class learning situation and how it impacts students interacting with the written materials in class, trying to learn from rules on their own, all, all that kind of stuff that people do. Right. So um, I, but I don't think there, I don't think you'll find anything on, on that in terms of acquisition itself and the shaping of the underlying grammar and so on. But again, it's a good question because it is coming up more and more because of, of what's going on in classrooms across the country.
4: Yeah, a a lot of what I was, when I was trying to learn a little bit more about it, it it seemed that the researchers were probably more people in in the field of psychology, and as I was reading it kind of, um, from my point of view, it seemed like they didn't really understand, you know, current theories on second language acquisition, Um, um, and because of that, you know, a lot of them were talking about the the difficulties that they could face in the classroom, but that would be with reading and writing and those kinds of things, um, which I do see with my students, um, but I do try to give them plenty of opportunities to um, obviously get lots of input um, and also for them to to interact orally.
0: And, you know, and that is, I think you're raising an important point because we as language teachers very often, because we deal with classroom learners who are literate in some way, um, we rely on writing a lot to bootstrap learners into language acquisition, um, and for better or worse, you know that's what we do um, because we think it helps and we think that um, it is useful, which it, it is in most cases, right? Having written words in front of you helps you isolate the speech stream. For example, so if I have, if I hear a sentence from you. Um, it might sound, I might not be able to isolate the words easily because syllable structure might be different. Like I have a hard time processing French still, for example, because it's, it's, syllable structure is so different from Spanish and English, my two languages. But um, when, I see it, when I see it in print and I'm hearing it, I can isolate the words better, right? So, um, so, so having written language can help in some aspects of, of language acquisition. But then there are parts that probably just get in the way too. (laughs) So
4: yeah, yeah. And actually, this week I I just got back last week from my first experience with um, TPRS, and I, I tried it out in the classroom this week. And I kind of, in the back of my mind, was thinking about my my the couple students that I have, and they. I mean, they. It seemed like to be a big motivator for them because, I mean, they were. They seemed to be getting it a little
0: bit. Right. They're probably as good as, as, good as anybody data. else. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, good for you. That, that, I mean, that's, and th- that's actually some research that could be done, too, um, I think. Um, and as we move away, again, from all this explicit learning and this intellectualizing of language and get back to what language acquisition really is, I think that some of these things that we find, both individual differences and these individual differences that might be related to disabilities, will kind of get washed away because because they're not as important um, for the actual acquisition language as they as they are compared to the explicit learning of language, for example. So well thank you, Ovidan. That was a great question. It was well, a great you. topic. Yeah, thank okay. you very much. Okay. For the time. All right. And I'll be i ho- I'll be home in California next week visiting my sister, so I'll I'll wave to you. Um, from <laughs> right. I'll Sorry. be I'll be in Chowchilla, north of Fresno. So that's where I'll be. So well,
4: great. All right. Thank okay.
0: you so much. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Take Thanks care. Bye bye. That is, you know, we forget and one of the individual differences also too is people's If they have learning impairments or Mm. cognitive differences and so on and so forth. Um, But again, anybody who doesn't have any real mental deficiencies, no matter what they are, I mean, they should be able to acquire language the way anybody else can. Um, All right. Fresh off the Twitter press. Let me read a couple of these before we take another phone call. Um, We have Chris. the, The question that was posed on the Twitter feed was, what's the role of individual differences in SLA? And Chrissy says, learner controls what is processed, so individual differences mean everything. They shape the size of funnel that learners receive. I think that's a certain interesting way to put it. That's because I was saying earlier about how learners try to control their environment with whatever individual difference they have, but it doesn't change the process. And so Chrissy's metaphor is that they can act as a funnel. They can either let more in or let less in. Um, And that's probably a, a good way to look at it. And that helps us understand the rate of acquisition, for example. Um, And Magister P also says internal constraints on acquisition rate. Again, tying these things into how fast and how slow um, people are. Um, And Longinus says to frustrate adults attempting to standardize language education. Um, So I'm not sure what he meant by that, but I think he's saying that this emphasis on individual differences tries to categorize people in the pigeonholes and make them feel bad or good about language learning in the classroom. So I think that's kind of what he's hitting at. Um, and then there were some interesting inter- interchanges between people. There's uh, Chris. I, I don't do last names on here. So Chris says it's relevant uh, and has, t- has implications uh, for what he calls differentiated instruction. could mean that analytical learners want grammar. Of course analytical learners want grammar. Look at Angelica. She wants grammar. But that doesn't mean that she needs grammar to acquire language. It just means she wants it. It makes her feel good. If it makes it feel good,
3: hmm. then let
0: her have it. Um, but that doesn't mean it's going to necessarily make acquisition any better for her compared to Walter. Um, but we can talk about that because again, you have to have an you have to have a definition of two things, Chris. I'll tell you right now because I also read your blog <laughs> before the show started. You have to have a working definition of acquisition, what it is, and you also have to have a working definition of language and what language is. And then I think you you can understand why some of us say the things we say. Um, and I think. I read Chris's blog and what I'm reading on his tweets is he and I aren't talking the same language no pun intended my definition of language is not his definition of language and my definition of acquisition is not his definition mm. of acquisition so uh, un- until we meet on the same page it's going to be hard to talk about those things so All right. Chris if you're listening call in we'd love to hear from yeah, you yeah sure absolutely again I'm not going to be mean about it I like, I like to talk to people So, okay we have Celeste on the line Celeste are you there waiting to talk to us I am here. Hey, Celeste, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Pennsylvania. From Pennsylvania, yay, the Keystone State. Am I correct? I'm
3: hearing, yes, yes, I'm just hearing two things. I'm hearing from, the, the, uh, from my computer and from the phone, so it's weird. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs>
0: you, you might want to turn the computer down just a little bit so you don't get that echo, so you can, yeah. Um, and my understanding is Pennsylvania is Pennsylvania's a commonwealth, correct?
3: Um, oh, all these different voices. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, they call it a Commonwealth, but I don't think it really means that in terms of what um, uh, how we determine what a Commonwealth is. Not like Puerto Rico, for example.
0: Yeah, we were having a discussion the other day in my office with somebody about Virginia being a Commonwealth and Pennsylvania Commonwealth, so anyway. So Celeste, uh, are you calling to answer the SLA question? I am. Well, great. I'm getting actually I'm getting an echo in my headphones. Can you turn your computer down?
3: I tried doing that. It's not going down for oh, whatever reason. no. Let okay. me turn uh, remove the speaker. Maybe that will help.
0: Oh yeah, just turn it the other direction or something. So great. Okay, that that seems to work it. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah, now I'm not hearing all those noises in the background. Okay. So let me repeat the question for everybody and then you can um, give an answer. Here we go. One of the most noted names and in individual differences is Zoltan Dornier. What is the name of his 2005 book, revamped and updated in 2015, published by Routledge? The name of the book
3: is Celeste? The Psychology of the Language Learner Revisited.
0: Yes, exactly. And the subtitle is Individual Differences in Second Language Learning or Second Language Acquisition. So ding, 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 ding. Yay! Excellent! We have a winner. Good work. Okay, Celeste. Well, we're gonna we're gonna send you a little present in the mail in the next couple of days. So, um, be on the lookout for that. Um, anything else you want Thank to talk you. about before we hang up?
3: Um, can you talk a little? You, you mentioned the working memory, and you've been talking about um, learning disabilities um, on the show. I understand what working memory is, but. For example, well, we're not the psychiatrists and we're not the therapists to determine who has learning disabilities, but I'm just wondering if, um in the classroom, if somebody has, um an attention deficit or they're just somebody who keeps looking out the window. I mean, the working memory is then going to have a big effect on what they can, uh, process in, in the class. And do you, and, and I guess a side question to that is, um it depends on gauging how many things that they can all do at once and with all those everybody with a different working memory um, you know, do you have any suggestions on where do we begin with that? Um, or do you even think this matters that much in what we're doing in the classroom? I, I don't think it
0: does, uh, honestly. Um, but let me just clarify real quick before I, I get into that a little bit more. But working memory is not necessarily, from what I understand, tied into things like attention span and things like that. It's actually tied, okay. into, it's tied into at any given millisecond how much, how much of a speech stream, for example... Are you able to, to juggle in your working memory while you're you're processing the information contained in that speech stream? So for example, let's say if Walter has really high working memory, he might be able to deal with a rate of speech slightly faster than Angelica, mm-hmm. who has a lower working memory because he can process, you know, two or three words quicker than she can process one word. Um, and so it's, it's about that millisecond by millisecond time of processing information. So it's not about Walter having more attention span or Angelica's a daydreamer, things like that. It really has to do with, and, and they could both be daydreamers, but when they're actually mm-hmm. paying attention, Walter has a higher working memory than Angelica but they're both daydreamers and they both have ADD and they both you know whatever. And so <laughs> <Okay>. and so, <laughs> so so I'm just kidding of course but 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 you know the point is is that that if we hold those other things constant we can find working memory differences in the same kind of population. So I, and so I think the alchemist research is not is not that not that we can really apply anything in the classroom because in a classroom with 30 kids, for example, you're going to have a bunch of individual differences. And you just sure. ca- you cast your net as wide as possible um, and you're just constantly monitoring faces to see who's with you, who's not understanding, who's not understanding and so on. And that's what we've always done and that's probably what we'll continue to do. And so from the perspective of language acquisition, these these individual differences really are for us to try to understand in the Bigger picture, the broader picture, of why why people get someplace sooner than others, and why some people go further than others, and 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 that's what it, they're really about. And so they don't okay, they're not going to really help us in the day to day thing. Although motivation, I mean, we can provide some extrinsic motivation to people by um, there's actually an interesting article that just came out. Oh, I'm going to mention it on the air next time. It's by Jean Marc uh about. Um, Enjoyment in the classroom fi- showing uh, – I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it wrong, so I'm going to wait and, and bring it up when I have the correct citation and information in front of me. But he just sent it to me recently. It just, it just got published. And I think he's got he's on to something there about enjoyment in the classroom tied to motivation and tied to learning. It's really, really interesting stuff. So anyway, so – with that said, um, uh, thank you, Celeste, for calling. Congratulations. Um, Dustin has your information, and we're going to send you a little prize.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Oh, thank you. All right. Thanks for calling, Celeste. Bye,
1: Celeste. welcome. Bye
0: bye. All right. Uh, all right. Ooh, that, was a good, that was a good one. Um, that was a good question. Uh helped clarify working memory, too. So, um, okay. Uh, we have next on our docket Walter Segment. Walter, do you have a reading you'd like to share Walter with
2: people? Walter Segment. All right. Today, I'm actually just going to introduce this article. It was published in 2015, uh, and it's about aptitude. It's called "Aptitude as Grammatical Sensitivity in the Initial Stages of Learning Japanese as L2." Oh, you sneaky little boy! I know who I
0: know who
3: wrote that. Studies in Second <laughs> Language
2: Acquisition, and it was written by our very own Bill Van Patten, along with Megan Smith one of our grad students who just left us, left us this past year. And uh, so I'm going to allow you to take the floor on this because you probably know a lot more about it than I do. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your article and the research that you did on Japanese as an L2.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. In fact, I was talking to my students about this today in my independent study because they were just fascinated by acquisition. And so what Megan and I did is we took a bunch of people who knew no Japanese and no language like Japanese and we ran them through a treatment to learn Japanese, it was an input based treatment. And so they heard 100 sentences uh, with pictures, and that's how they were learning Japanese. Little simple sentences like, you know, Japanese is what we call head final. So the object comes after the verb. Or, uh, yeah, the object comes before the verb. So the verb is the head comes, yeah. Okay. So in Japanese, you don't say Bill eats apples, you say Bill apples eats, right? Okay. And so we ran them through this little treatment. It only took about 25 minutes. And then we gave them a surprise reading test where they had to read sentences in Japanese. And, they, and half the sentences were grammatical, half the sentences were ungrammatical. And so for the basic word order, half the sentences were subject, object, verb, the way Japanese is, and half the sentence was subject, verb, object. Right? Like English. And so they didn't know they were, their reading was being timed. They were reading on a computer screen and pressing buttons to get through the sentence. And then after each sentence, they got a little comprehension question like, oh, is this sentence about someone eating fruit? The answer is yes. Press A for yes or B for no. Okay, so they're focused on meaning they're, as they're processing the sentences. Little they know, we're registering their unconscious reading time. And sure enough, we found that they slowed down on the ungrammatical sentences while they were reading them. Hmm. No surprise there, right? Because they were exposed to us. But then we tested them on things they weren't exposed to. So we, all of a sudden, we in, inside those, w- embedded in those th- in that test, reading test, were questions. So in Japanese, when you make a question, you insert ka, and it goes at the end of the sentence because... In Japanese, it's head final. Ka is the head of the complementizer phrase. In English, it no questions. We insert do. Our do has to go into the head of the complementizer phrase, but it's head initial, so that's why it winds up, looks like it's the beginning of the sentence. And so they had sentences where the ka was at the end, and there was ka at the beginning. And never, they never saw ka. They didn't know what it was, but they knew it was a question because the sentence had a question mark at mm. the end, right? Guess what they did? They would slow down, on the questions where Ka was at the beginning compared to when they were reading Ka at the end. Never been exposed to it. And then we had um, embedded, this was really tricky for some of them, Um, we had um, uh, sentences where, English sentences like, John said that uh, Walter eats apples, right? And in Japanese, that sentence would be like this. Walter, no, John, Walter, apples, eats, to, which to means that. So John, Walter, apples, eats, to, said. Interesting. So what we did is we moved the to around to make it ungrammatical so it either came at the end like Japanese or it came at the beginning like English. So we had John, to, Walter, Mm -hmm. apple, blah, blah, blah. And so we found that some of our learners slowed down on the ungrammatical sentence compared to the grammatical ones. They didn't Mm -hmm. like those where that to was. Even though they, I mean, these they only had 100 sentences of Japanese exposed to basic sentences, and here they're getting embedded clauses all of a sudden. And so, what we found with three groups of learners emerged. Um, the the uh, first group slowed down on everything, <laughs> so they were projecting into their grammar. They were, they were learning mm-hmm. that Japanese was head final. No matter what kind of phrase it was, the head always came at the end of the phrase. Then there was another group that didn't project and all they did well on was the SOB versus SBO sentences. And then there was a group in between who didn't get the clauses, but they got the questions. They were slowing down on the wrong questions mm-hmm. or the bad questions, but they weren't slowing down on the bad clauses. So they were in between. So we said, okay, we've got different rates of acquisition going on here, right? And this all has to do with universal grammar and how headedness works. And so we also had given them the aptitude test from the MLA, the MLA aptitude test. And guess what? What? No correlation Mm -hmm. factor. Nothing was not related at all to where you fell, whether you you were projecting and acquiring everything or only a little bit. And, And another interesting thing, too, was that all learners, we also gave them, um, just by chance, we gave them bad case marking. So they had sentences where there was correct case marking and sentences where there was bad case marking because Japanese case marks. And sure enough, all of them, regardless of their aptitude, slowed down on the bad case marking sentences um, compared to the case marking sentences where they were re- the correctly case marking sentences. So what we were finding was that in that study, aptitude was not showing up to be a variable, a factor at all. In these deep, deep parts of language that are related to universal grammar and how langu- how learners project headedness, for example, um, or how they project because case also has in Japanese as a phrase and, and huh. the, the particles after the, 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 the particles in Japanese head the case marking phrase. So it was, we, we thought it was really interesting. We also did another study uh, years before, a couple years before with, with processing instruction. And in that study, it was a huge study with Spanish, French, Russian, and German and found in that study that was published in the MLJ that aptitude did not correlate or show as a factor in anything we looked at with the learners in our study. So it was really, really interesting stuff. So uh, it, it was quite unlike other research that shows aptitude as a factor because most aptitude research... Used just more traditional type learning environments, um, with the exception of one study I can think of, um, which was not a classroom-based study. But but so we were the first to come along and say, let's look at acquisition in a different way. If, if acquisition happens the way we think it has, aptitude should not be a factor. And sure enough, it was showing up not to be a factor in those things. It doesn't mean it's not a factor overall. It could be, but it's not. It does not showing up in those deep properties of language that that we were looking at. Okay, so there we go.
2: Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. There you have it, Walter's read of the week via BVP. Thank you for bringing that up.
0: Uh, Okay, Diva Challenge question, people.
1: Yeah, bring it on.
0: All right, bring it on. Here we go. Diva Challenge question for you. Remember, where where, where am I going tonight?
2: Oklahoma weather. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Okay, so do we have any people from Oklahoma call in? Yes, you better people.
0: If you're listening from Oklahoma, you better call in and get this, this this Diva Challenge question. Here we go. What movie starring the divas Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts takes place in Oklahoma? That movie came out in 2013, that's your hint. So, what movie starring the divas and Walter's Googleizing, because he does not know the answer? What movie starring the divas Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts takes place in Oklahoma? Great movie. Oh my God, it left me devastated. Okay. All right. So what's going on in Mixler email? We have any questions to answer while we're waiting for people to call?
1: We do indeed. So Sarah, um, who had to leave for an appointment, but she promised to listen later, is asking the following question. Yes. She says, in Stephen Krashen's declaration of the end of motivation as a factor in language acquisition, I see his entire case study example as an example of how motivation is a huge factor in language acquisition. Have you read the article? And what are your thoughts?
0: I have not read that article.
1: So you don't have thoughts. That I don't was have thoughts
0: That a on
3: very There's easy an article answer. that I Bill like Van Hatton has
0: it again? What's the name of it again?
1: Declaration of the End of Motivation as a Factor in Language Acquisition.
0: Yeah. Because uh, I think that Steve is saying the same thing as me, that it's not – I mean, I don't know what – I think I'm guessing that motivation does not affect the processes of what you have to do to acquire language. I think that's what Steve is getting at, which is the same thing as me. But I'm going to look at it. So cool. there you go. There are some things, Walter,
2: I have not read. You know, I can't read everything. <laughs> I, I cannot I'm, read everything. I'm not convinced. I mean, I, <laughs> I think, you know, if someone says, well, let me talk to you about this topic. And you say, well, you should read such and such an article that was published in 1994 <laughs> in, in Studies in Second Language Acquisition. I'm like, how do you know? How I is know. this stuff up in your right? brain? I just don't know. Yeah, well, sometimes. Some, yeah. It was interesting today with my, my two students.
0: Um, independent study, we were we were there, and, and I asked them, I said, so, and I don't know why I remembered this, but I asked them, I said, so, the, the independent study is about Spanish as a world language, and this was in Spanish, of course, so I said, I asked them in Spanish, so when was it that Cortes, because we're putting in the Wikipedia site that we're building, that w- in less than 100 years, Spanish built this world empire, and that's how Spanish spread around the world, right? So I said, so, when did, when did Cortes land in Mexico? When when did he conquer Mexico? And I said, I don't, know, I don't know. I said, well, I said, is it, you know, is it 1519 he arrived? I, said, I think it took him a couple years, maybe by 1521. And I, I said, I look it up. And so, so Cam looked it up, or we looked it up on the screen, and sure enough, 1519 and fifteen twenty. I go, how did I remember that? I don't know. <laughs> That's a, I wouldn't, I don't know. Anyway, all right, we've got uh, Bess on the line. Bess, are you there? I am. Hey, Bess, you are from the great state of?
3: Missouri
0: that's what I thought can I just say something sure if there was any name I would expect to come out of the state of Missouri it would be Bess I th- oh, really <laughs> I think I don't know why you know why no why Bess wasn't, wasn't Truman wasn't Truman world. from Missouri he was and wasn't his wife named Bess wasn't she Bess Truman
3: it was see yeah. there uh, Walter see how I
0: remember these things uh, Walter okay. I know there you go alright Bess enough of that so what you calling about
3: um, well, I have the answer to the diva
0: challenge question. Oh, great. And she's not even from Oklahoma. So let me read the question again, <laughs> and then um, you can put those those Oklahoma people to, uh, to shame because you got in there before yes. they did. Okay. What movie starring the divas Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts takes place in Oklahoma? Answer?
1: August, Osage County.
0: Ding, 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 Excellent. ding. Excellent. Yes. Have you seen that movie, Bess? Mm, sadly, no. Oh, my God. You need to get on Netflix. You need to get somewhere and see that movie. It was just, it's a ripper, let me tell you. And it also has, I mean, it has a stellar cast, not just uh, Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts, but it has um, Benedict Cumberbatch in it. Mm-hmm. It has uh, Julia uh, Juliet Lewis in it has, uh, oh, my gosh, some other people in it. Uh, really, I mean, I can't even think of all their names.
2: Produced by George Clooney. Ah, uh-huh, yeah, yes, here we it's go. It's just
0: really really, Isn't really, 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 <laughs> really. That George Clooney never turns any of my phone calls. But that's another story. <laughs> okay, best. well, thanks for calling in. We're going to send you a little prize. Uh, I think Dustin has all your information. So um, unless you have something else you want to ask or talk about before we let you go.
3: Can I ask a quick question that's you, not related to the
0: topic? You can ask whatever you want. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Um, Well, I have multiple children at home and I have never started teaching them my language of French because I heard that basically you would have to live your house as a bilingual house where one parent speaks one language and one speaks the other. And there are just things that I want to say to my kids that I can't express in the French language. Um, And I was wondering in that situation if you had any advice for me.
0: Um, no, I don't have any advice for you. I mean, you can say whatever you want. You don't have to have a mixed household, one person speaking one language. You can speak to your kids in any language at any time and see what happens. I mean, think about, think about anybody who's going into a classroom, for example. They might have, they're spending, you know, 10 hours, 12 hours a day in English, and for one hour a day, they're walking the French. They don't get screwed up. So, um, so if you talk to your kids a little bit in French each day or whatever, or you play a game with them in French, or, you know, you put a moosey French cartoon on, whatever... Um, that's okay. You don't have to. You don't okay. have to. Yeah. I mean, it never hurts. How
1: much? How much do I worry about comprehensibility
3: in that situation?
0: Oh, they'll let you know if they're if you're comprehensible or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's that's all you have to worry about is you, you and you will make yourself comprehensible when you start speaking. They'll go what, and then you just rephrase. it, You know, just you know. I wrote, Read my chapter on comprehensible input in my new book coming out in July. Um, oh, I will do that. People do this very naturally. If you if you're trying to communicate, you will do it naturally. It will just you will do it. Your your instincts will kick in about how to make yourself comprehensible. Okay. There you go.
1: Thank you very much. All
0: right. Well, good luck on that. Thanks, Bess. Congratulations. Thanks a lot. See you this okay. summer. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye, Bess. Oh, love that. See? Best Truman. You guys were making fun of me because I said that. But
1: oh, we never make fun of you.
2: Yeah, Walter's always over there like giggling at me or something. All right. <laughs> Angelica. I was not making fun of you. I was actually in the back of my head singing a song from another musical. You know, we've already sung Oklahoma. I was singing Porgy and Bess. But... Proving my point about yeah. attention span. There we go. <laughs> Angelica.
0: <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> do you have a quote for us for this week?
1: I sure do. The quote is uh, from the book Understanding Child Language Acquisition uh, by Caroline Rowland, 2005. 2005, that's not right. 2015, sorry. And here is the quote. It's a bit lengthy, but bear with me. Language is an extremely tenacious skill. It does not need careful tending or special treatment, but develops without much effort on the part of either the parent or the child. However, that is not the same as claiming that everyone learns language in exactly the same way. There is substantial individual variation. Some children learn language extremely fast, producing their first words before one year of age. In fact, some children speak before they crawl. Others are much slower to develop. For these, walking comes first. Some children are adventurous at combining words, producing strings peppered with grammatical errors. Others seem more cautious only combining words when they are absolutely sure they have the grammar right. So individual variation in child language acquisition.
2: Personality.
0: Yep. I think that's a great quote because that – We make such a big deal about individual differences in second language acquisition and we forget that it's Mm -hmm. there from birth. It's part of language acquisition, period. Um, And what's not – I mean that's a really good quote because it tells us in a nutshell that that children are all the same, that that they have different rates of acquisition and so on. Um, And what we don't know is whether those things are the things that then are subsequently related to – second language acquisition. Mm-hmm. So let's say Walter was one of those kids who talked before he crawled or was mm-hmm. talking, you know, putting words together. I, I bet wouldn't he be was.
4: surprised.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and let's say Angelica was one of those people who, oh, yeah. who crawled, crawled before first, she absolutely. crawled before she started putting words together. <laughs> that could mean then that maybe, we don't know, that Walter, when he's learning French, is going to be faster learning French than Angelica learning French. Um, we don't know. I mean, that, that's, that's one hypothesis for that because mm. the... You know, these issues of individual differences, we make such a big deal of them in second language acquisition. We forget that they're not a second language acquisition phenomenon. Individual differences are a language phenomenon, a set of they are they are a language phenomenon or they are a set of language phenomena. Phenomena. Yeah. So with maybe the exception of motivation, I don't know. But I don't know. Maybe some motivation could be tight. We don't we, we can't open up a three year old's head. And ask them about their motivation. for,
2: But it is – I mean I can just speak anecdotally a little here from my experience of child language acquisition. It's interesting because I think personality has a lot to do with it as well in terms of the child language acquisition. My son is very, very – well, you know. (laughs) He's very social and he was talking really early. My daughter, on the other hand, she's quite shy. It took her quite a while before she was actually willing – not that, you know, there may have been language, and there was, I'm sure, language up in her head, but it took oh, her yeah. a lot longer for that language to actually come out of her mouth. So right. individual differences. Yep, yep. Um, and I,
0: yeah, so that it, they're there. Um, and, and we just need to acknowledge that they're there. Um, okay. And and I, I think that quote from, um, it's Caroline Rowland, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Where she
0: says, it doesn't mean everybody learns the same way. Mm-hmm. I think we have to be careful how we interpret that statement of hers everybody does learn huh. the same mm-hmm. way but the rates are different and what we attempt to do with language when we produce it might be different mm-hmm. but what's happening to get language in our heads is the same mm-hmm. so that child she's talking about those two children one may which, how does she say it one may speak with a bunch of errors which we mm-hmm. shouldn't talk about errors in child yep. language acquisition and the other one will wait to speak in grammatically correct, correct yeah. sentences mm-hmm. or whatever um, that's about how language comes out of our mouths, not about how, as Walter just said, what's in our heads. Mm-hmm. The language going on in our heads is, is one thing. So, but, but it's still, again, I think it's a good quote. Thank you. It reminds us that about individual differences are not just an L2 phenomenon. Okay. Um, any email questions, Wally, that you got there from people?
2: I have something that just appeared on Twitter that is a bit disturbing. What? It says, hey, T with BVP, referring to you, of course. Let three teachers from Texas buy you a drink and pick your brain. You name the place Southwest Colt 17, and the hashtag is don't bring Walter.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's out. This is not happening. I saw that, too. First
2: of all, Mm. I won't be there. (laughs) Second of all, that's not very nice, Mm -hmm. Andy. I don't like the way you're talking on Twitter right now. I
1: don't either, Andy.
0: I think he's just teasing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. You're worse than Donald Trump with these tweets. You get so offended so easy. Us. You need to get some thicker I'm skin. Not, I'm not
2: offended at all. I think it's kind of funny, actually. If I had,
0: actually, if I had a dollar for every insult I've oh, suffered over my career, I would be retired sure. right now. I have been <laughs> insulted so many times for people out in the field. It's not funny. But anyway, I won't so, be
2: there anyway, Andy. So it's all right. You take Bill out for a drink. I'm sure he'll Andy be happy to talk me, to you.
0: Andy, look me. Andy, I'm fine anytime. I get in late tonight, but I'm fine anytime um, after my keynote plenary on tomorrow afternoon evening. So let's do it. Let's go to the bar after my keynote. Have a drink. Look, come up to the podium or wherever I'm going to be and axe me, as we say in Chicago. Okay. <laughs> any? Uh, but any? What's going on, Mixler? What's going on in the email? I need to. Right, come on, give I me something questions. to talk about here. Okay, go.
1: Lance is asking. Hey, Lance. Since explicit knowledge doesn't become implicit, learning disabilities is a non-issue for acquisition. The logical question then would be, do acquisition disabilities exist?
0: They do. Um, They do. Uh, And we see them in first language acquisition. There's a field of research called um, uh, impaired language acquisition, actually. Um, And there's different kinds of cerebral things going on that somehow cause children to have difficulty learning a first language. Okay, Um, And so those are the kinds of things that can impede acquisition, but not the standard set of learning disabilities we talk about all the Mm -hmm. time in the educational literature, for example. Um, So, yes, Lance, there are. Don't ask me what they are because I'm not really familiar with that field. I know about it. I know there's a couple people at OSU who work in that field. Um, uh, Actually, that book that... um, that Angelica just quoted from. What's the name of that book, Angelica? Let Lance have the name of that book again.
1: Understanding Child Language Acquisition, twenty fifteen, by Caroline Rowland. I know Rowland. that book.
0: Caroline has a chapter on language impairment, so you can look it up in there if you want to. So,
2: can I ask a follow up question because sure. we have an email question from Ryan that that uh, is that well, anyway. We've got a good segue here. It says, if a student was significantly speech delayed in their first language, should we expect them to acquire a second language? If the delay was significant, couldn't we establish in his or her admission, review, and dismissal meeting, I assume that's something particular to that school, perhaps, that he or she shouldn't be expected to acquire a language at all within the time frame that an unaffected individual would?
0: No, I think I think that again, it depends on what your definition of acquisition is. Um, and so that person can still acquire some language. I think the question that Ryan should be asking is not whether you dismiss the person, but how do you assign grades and qualifications to people who have different rates of acquisition, mm-hmm. if, if that's your goal. If you're assigning grades for language learning, that person shouldn't have any problem doing explicit language learning because that's unrelated to delayed language acquisition. So, uh, and that's what your grades are based on, fine, that person can take a language class like anybody else. But if you're somehow assessing language acquisition – Um, then that's a different matter So, um, and that's a broader question again we've talked about this on the show several times how do we assess that how do we quantify that and put that into an institutionalized educational setting that's our real challenge in the profession that's our biggest challenge that we never seem to really talk about Hmm. that should be a focus of all meetings now I think all national and regional meetings how do we get acquisitions in the classroom and how do we change the structure of grading and all that kind of stuff all right. That was a good question. Thank you, Ryan, for that. And thank you. Who was that? That was Lance, right? from Yep. from Mexico. Thank you, Lance, for those two questions. Anything else? What do we got going on now?
2: I have a public service announcement. Ooh. All right. This is from... A public service announcement. Is this? <laughs> do, I have to, do I have to get vaccinated
0: to get something, Walter? What? what? <laughs> Oh, this my God. From- You've got something. I'm moving over next to Angelica.
2: You've oh. got something, don't you? Oh, my God. <laughs> I've got an email. That's what I've got. Uh, <laughs> they've, it's got from- they've got a salve for that, you know.
0: You can rub it all over and get rid of that email. <laughs> oh, my
2: word. This is from Anna, and uh, she's going to um, – first of all, she says she's a huge fan of the show. She lives in Hawaii in Maui. Oh, we feel so bad mm. for you. Uh, She teaches French at a public school there, but she's going to France on a sabbatical leave, and she would love to observe some CL, communicative language, especially task-based classes in France. So if any of you know of any communicative language classes, maybe even some task-based classes or teachers in France, please let us know here at Tea with BVP, and we would love to help Anna out. So. We have lots of listeners. Let us know if you know of anyone yeah. in France that uh, Anna might be able to go observe during I, her sabbatical.
0: I will make a note of this. Um, I will probably forget, so Anna, if you're listening, send me an email and remind me. But um, um, I know somebody, Rebecca. Her name is Rebecca Rash. she's a professor. Uh, in fact, I'm supposed to go to Paris in the middle of May for a symposium uh, that she is helping to put together. And she does language acquisition and works with language teachers and so on. So she might be a contact person for that. And then also our former intern, Emma, um, who's now in France and uh, teaching and working there might have some connections. So um, we can pass that. Uh, somebody write this down because I'm gonna forget. We can send that email to <laughs> Emma and Emma can get back to
2: and You forget so. these things, but you don't forget the <laughs> journal articles I know. when they were published. I know,
0: isn't that, isn't that, isn't that amazing? I'm going to be like that lady in the commercial who finds the keys in the refrigerator. That's, that's yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a step away from that. Let me tell you. I shouldn't make fun. It's, it's a terrible thing. But anyway, so. All right. Any what else is going on? Come on.
2: I've got more. What's Angel- What do you have, Angelica?
0: I've got more, too. Okay. Well,
2: well I'll let you go. Sometimes give me, give me,
0: about. give me more.
1: Okay. So Celeste um, was talking about growth mindset and fixed mindset. And she writes... I think that there are learners who have mental blocks and consider themselves, quote-unquote, language challenged. How would these ideas of growth versus fixed mindsets relate to these individual differences and neuroplasticity? Wow. I don't – wow.
0: First of all, I don't know those terms, growth, and I don't know if she's using – I don't know if that's something from educational literature or if that's a term that she's using to to describe these these particular kinds of people. Um, But again, um, people do have blocks – against explicit language learning and they do have blocks against traditional approaches to language classes. They just do. Um, But I really, I mean, I've worked over the years with a variety of students. Some claim to have this and some claim to have that. And the minute they get in acquisition-oriented situations, those things start to go away. Um, And so um, I I think it's a matter of, again, of Understanding that language acquisition is not going to respond, necessarily be ruled by um, – the processes aren't going to be ruled by these differences. What those students do – who's that again? That's Celeste. Celeste. Mm-hmm. What those students Celeste talking about will do is possibly block input. They will, they will not seek out input because I can't learn language. Or, 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 or shut down. Oh, you're speaking to me in German. I got that. Rather than say, well, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you understand what mm-hmm. I'm saying. And so they will. They, they, that individual difference that they perceive then keeps them from doing the things they need to do to actually acquire language. Um, and I, think, I do think we see that in the literature. I think we see that in our own classes. We don't, we don't need to do research on that. There mm-hmm. are students who just go, I can't learn this. And you go, yes, you can. And you sit them down one-on-one. You start talking. And they go, oh, okay, I do understand you. What are you doing, Walter?
1: Yes, Walter's making a fist. Oh, yes, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. Si se
0: puede. Si mm-hmm. se puede.
1: And she did confirm, by the way, that this uh, the terminology is from educational literature.
0: Yeah. Okay. And, and that's, see, that's another issue. Again, a lot of the stuff from educational literature applied to language acquisition does, doesn't work. Hmm. Because language acquisition in and of itself, it, language, if you're trying to acquire language, it can't be taught like other subject matter. It's different. It has to be taught different. It has to be worked out differentially in the classroom. Um, otherwise, then, you know, you, you are you are indeed – Invoking things that make a difference because you're not involved in language acquisition, you're involved in language learning, or learning about language.
2: Oh
3: my
0: the
2: God! End. Look at the clock. Oh my goodness!
0: Here it's we go. 3:58. I got to start wrapping up. Look at that, because I got to get on a plane. I'm put a bow on it. Wrap it up. On a jet plane. <whistles> but you'll be back next week. Yeah, I'll be back on Saturday. All right. Well, let me do my thank yous. Again, we always thank who first.
1: Daniel Trago Daniel Trago
0: our wonderful technical producer without him the world would stop revolving Uh, (laughs) our media producer Luca Giapponi, the talented and trusted and wonderful handsome Dustin DeFelice, who's just the nicest person we love Dustin and Jeff Maloney who'll be back soon our uh, assistant production manager he's been working on some stuff so hopefully he'll be back after spring break Um, Jennifer Lee who's knocking off early went on a spring break already we still love her (laughs) Um, our intern. Uh, We'd like to thank the College of Arts and Letters at MSU, especially our dean, Christopher Long. Thank you, Christopher. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And of course, we all want to thank the listeners out there in Tea with BVP land for your devotion and for your attention. We love you. Uh Thank you. All right. Um... Next week is our spring break. So we are on hiatus for that week. We will not be back until March 16th. We'll announce our topic over our newsletter. So you just have to wait. It's going to be a surprise. Until then, have a great weekend. If you're having spring break, have a great spring break. And happy second language acquisition. Goodbye, everybody.
1: Bis in zwei Wochen.